Design has an incredible power to visualize, to create visible, to, to make an aspirational, aspirational view of what is that that would represent for us. Welcome to Play in Conversations, the podcast where we delve into the world of design and explore the endless opportunities that await designers and brands. I'm Simon Martin, Head of Content Strategy at PlanCo, and joining me are Brendan and Karen Hutchison, the founders of PlanCo. Together, we'll be your hosts as we embark on insightful design conversations that inspire and inform. Hello, everyone. Today, we have the privilege of delving into the world of design leadership, visionary thinking, humanism, and technology with a truly remarkable individual. Our guest today is none other than Stefano Mazzano, a luminary in the field of design and innovation. Stefano's career has spanned decades, leaving an indelible mark on the creative landscape. His passion for creative leadership and pushing the boundaries of design has made him an influential figure in various industries. Stefano's journey has been nothing short of extraordinary. Having served as the chief design officer at some of the world's most iconic companies, including Philips, where he transformed the company's design philosophy and pioneered early design thinking models, and Electrolux, where he fostered a culture of innovation that led to groundbreaking products. Beyond his corporate roles, Stefano has been a thought leader, educator, and advocate for design thinking and sustainability. He chaired the faculty advisory board for the Eindhoven University of Technology. He was professor of design strategy and management and board member of the Domus Academy and was design ambassador for the European Commission. His vision has ignited a passion for sustainable design, innovation, and corporate responsibility, relentlessly championing a socially harmonious and environmentally responsible world. In this episode, we dig into Stefano's formative years, lessons from his tenure at Philips, and his musings on the state of current and future states of society and design. At times, Stefano forecasts a stark reality that some might find confronting, but upon reflection, I've found his thoughts provocative and intriguing. Definitely some food for thought. We hope you enjoy this exploration into Stefano's career, his insights into the future of design, and advice to inspire the next generation of creative minds. Without further ado, let's dive in. Stefano, so great to have you on the show today. You are one of the earliest advocates for corporate social responsibility, uh, which you spent a lot of time practicing during your time at Philips, uh, going back decades, uh, where you were the CEO of Philips Design as well as the chief design officer of Philips International. Can you back us up to the early days and, and tell us a little bit more about how your career trajectory uh, sent you down the path of a design leader? Very well. Uh, I think I started uh, uh, very early, uh, unconsciously, <laughs> as uh, I grew up with my grandfather, and my grandfather was uh, a tailor. Uh, what we would say today, uh, a, <laughs> a fashion fashion designer. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I, I, I was uh, spending many, um, almost all the days uh, when I was very, very, very young uh, in uh, his atelier. And uh, I was playing under the table of my grandfather. There was a higher table where he was uh, 
cutting the tissues uh, and designing with uh, Gibbs uh, on uh, uh, preparing all uh, uh, the uh, the parts of the different uh, suits or uh, and uh, we were talking and uh, he was telling me about uh, uh, how important was uh, the dialogue uh, with uh, with the clients uh, uh, they were coming not to have just a suit but they were coming to uh, to have uh, to gain some self-confidence uh, to feel them themselves better and uh, and so he was talking about uh, uh, people that were was going uh, to him to ask uh, for for a new dress uh, and telling uh, about uh, uh, the uh, the next uh, uh, event in the family and uh, and that they wanted to look uh, thinner and uh, they wanted to look uh, taller. They wanted to be. Uh, uh, better than uh, the sister-in-law, <laughs> this kind of thing. So my my grandfather was my grandfather was a top a bit uh, discussing about uh, see uh, beyond the the words uh, and beyond the just the question I want to have address and what is the real motivation behind it to understand and uh, and I, I I wrote a piece and that was uh, the smile. Uh, uh, in the mirror uh, of my grandfather, and it was uh, when uh, the, uh, the the customer, the client, was coming uh, after the the first uh, uh, test of the suit that was half made and half not made, and that they were quite concerned about the final results because at that time there was no real time to recuperate. And uh, and at the end, when the when the suit uh, or dress was ready uh, and they fitted, uh, and that smile in in uh, in front of the mirror, the satisfaction, and my grandfather would say, "See, let's understand what there is behind uh, what the people do say, and uh, because they do not necessarily uh, express exactly what they want, but they try to." Uh, make you understanding, or you have to uh, to better understand what they want by searching, by questioning, by raising questions, and so on. So that was uh, I didn't know at that time that uh, this uh, would have been uh, uh, help uh, in uh, in my further uh, work and future, but uh, it started. Uh, the interest in uh, understanding people and understanding the people in their own uh, uh, daily life, uh, in uh, the, the needs and so on. I love hearing about young informative experiences like this. Your story is somewhat idyllic for designers because tailoring suits is a very personal service, right? On one hand, you are exposed to the human and cultural dynamics, but at the same time, I can imagine... Craftsmanship, attention to detail and materials were also influences of an atelier. So tell us how you went on to study design. Well, then I, I, I grew up and uh, I was uh, uh, interested in architecture. And uh, so I, uh, uh, I went to the uh, university in Milan uh, studying architecture and design was one of uh, the 36 uh, different uh, 
disciplines. Uh, you had to go through all the 36 uh, disciplines and give exams there and so on. But my, my uh, interest was in architecture. But I had to pay the, my studies. So I, I, I went, uh, I started also to work uh, during, uh, uh, during the hours that uh, I was uh, free from the university. That was an agreement uh, with, uh, with the studio where I was working. And I started to work with uh, uh, an architect uh, that actually was uh, very much engaged uh, with uh, all cases in court. So the, the, the work there was, uh, I would say, not very exciting. Uh, I had to make all calculation of irons in concrete box and uh, <laughs> uh, for, for the trials and this kind of things. Uh, so uh, then later I had the fortune to uh, to change and to enter in the studio of uh, Makio Hasuike, was Makio Hasuike, a Japanese designer uh, living in Italy after that uh, uh, he won uh, a year in Italy uh, as a, a prize for, a, for the design of the watch for the Olympics Games uh, in Tokyo. And there, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, we, we were doing everything. Uh, we were doing like in all uh, almost uh, architects uh, design uh, studios in Italy do architecture, interior design, uh, communication, product design, etc. etc. Mm. And uh, there is uh, uh, where I, I did realize that uh, uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, uh, to have. Uh, control or let's say to be engaged in uh, in a project from the start and the beginning while in my previous idea of uh, urban design and the interest in uh, redesigning city that was uh, very relevant uh, to be very much political engaged with the local authorities uh, there were a lot a lot of uh, bureaucratics and, and at that time I didn't uh, I didn't feel that uh, I was patient enough <laughs> to uh, to go through all uh, all that uh, things, and I started to orient myself more on uh, on design, and I was fascinated also by every morning uh, going in the morning going into the studio. Mm -hmm. uh, I I found there all the work done by the mother of uh, Makio Azuike that uh, she was a teacher of Ikebana. And uh, when I was there in the morning, there was all this composition of flowers. It uh, was beautiful. And uh, so from there, uh, I, I took a different uh, direction. Not that I forgot uh, architecture, because I've been always, always involved and always engaged uh, also in uh, architecture at the time. I worked also for, for Domus Academy. But uh, my route changed somehow direction uh, and I went more into the direction of, uh, uh, of design. We'd like to take a moment to remind you that Play and Conversations is brought to you by Play and Co. If you want to explore more about design opportunities, discover new insights, or connect with Play and Co for a design project, be sure to visit playandco.com.
it sounds like the makings of a romantic movie about designers uh, that has not yet been created, by the way. Um, I don't think anyone has done a, a beautiful sort of cinematic uh, blockbuster about the, the the growth of a designer from, you know, learning about um, people from, from his grandfather's atelier right up through um, working in an architecture uh, consultancy. When you were talking about that, it, it takes me back to some of the greats um, from Italy, and I've I've always been drawn to Italian design and Italian architects. And what is it? My question to you is: What is it about, or what was it about that era that that allowed architects, or was conducive to architects, to be able to do so many different things, from buildings to espresso machines to graphics, and what was the significance of that culturally, do you think? Well, uh, uh, I believe it, it has always been uh, generalism and not specialism. Uh, the interest in uh, whatever was uh, a, a representation, a manifestation of uh, of culture, of uh, uh, aesthetic related to uh, uh, the meaning of uh, things you do in a specific uh, environment, in a specific historical moment. A lot of expression also of uh, view on society. So it is the base of uh, of the studies of architecture was very much humanistic, uh, not uh, very much uh, driven by technique and technology. Of course, technology at that time for for us and for me was still uh, a a mean uh, and not an end. And. Uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> Uh, so the, the 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 curiosity was more driven by the meaning, the significance uh, of an object or an architecture or uh, mm -hmm. the the life of people and uh, and uh, I I've experienced and this is why I've, I'm changing somehow a view on uh, on the work I did and 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 the future. Uh, technology is not a mean anymore; is an end. Mm, yeah. And uh, and technology is uh, is actually the only interest of economy. Economy is looking at uh, technology, where technology is uh, has the uh, higher opportunities uh, for uh, creating uh, uh, financial success. And economy is going in that direction, and uh, economy is and technology are an end and not anymore a mean. And this is quite a difference from, uh, let's say, the time where I did studied, and uh, that of course it was after uh, uh, it was in the in the early seventy, uh, and uh, technology was of course taking uh, taking over uh, very much, but. Uh, never forget forget that when I was born and the first uh, ten years of my life <clears throat> uh, in the fields in uh, 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 let's say the people were still working with uh, uh, bulls cows uh, and uh, <laughs> cutting mm -hmm. the, the so uh, 
the, the acceleration of uh, technology in the last uh, 50, 70 years, it has been uh, exponential with respect to 200 years of, uh, of industrial revolution. And uh, in the last 200 years, we, we moved from uh, 800 million people to 8 million, 8,000 million, uh, millions people in the world in 200 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, the exponential of uh, technology has been, uh, let's say, accelerating uh, exponentially in the last 50 years. So in 200 years, a global population growth of 800 million to 8 billion people, staggering economic growth and technological evolution. In the past 50 years, this trend has accelerated exponentially. You've no doubt bore witness to some huge shifts in technology over your career. What did this look like in the early days at Philips and Domus Academy, and how did it influence your approach to design leadership? Uh, when uh, when I was uh, leading Philip Design, I think we were just in between the shift from uh, the world of analog to the world of digital. And uh, we were envisaging whatever is uh, today uh, present. Uh, and even, even uh, the first, uh, uh, let's say, uh, consideration about uh, artificial intelligence. We were talking about ambient intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we're, we're the first, uh, the first uh, uh, element of uh, moving even further than, uh, than what was, uh, let's say, the traditional digital transformation that we have been uh, used in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So there are quite, uh, quite, uh, uh, quite a, uh, a very accelerated transformation uh, that uh, uh, has changed very much the education, I mean, the, the world of education. At the time I was, uh, I was at the university, there was education. Uh, so to, to, uh, to understand uh, culture, to understand from where it comes from, to understand uh, societal challenges and so on. But now the, the, the university is just focused on giving competence of uh, teaching uh, uh, a technique, skills and so on, but it's not educating. So that's, yeah. that's, uh, that is uh, the, major, the major difference, I think, uh, of the time in which I was at the university. There were no specialization. Mm. Uh, you, you went through all these different uh, different disciplines, and uh, you were exercising all because the the ingredient you were using was uh, your understanding of culture, beauty, and uh, yeah. And that's something that I I I, I definitely feel grateful for when. Um, when we came to Philips, uh, we we joined. I joined in 20, 2006, I think it was, um, yeah. and that was at a very nice time. I think there was a lot happening. It was, it was like four or five hundred people worldwide, studios all over the over the world, and people flying between different studios. We live. We were in the Hong Kong studio. There was like hundred and eighty right. something people there, and. 
um, there were always events and going on and conceptual projects, and that was always driven by the leadership team that that you you'd put in. And uh, I I told uh, I've told Simon this before, and I've told a few of the other designers we're working with that I felt like Phillips was the first place I could practice what I'd learned at at university. You know, I I I felt like I had the tools and the um, the uh, the freedom, the creative uh, ability, you know, my 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 bosses, my managers were allowing us to to you know, if we needed to, if we wanted to do a conceptual project, we had the means to do it. Or if we thought something deserved to exist um, and and a point of view that we had, then we were we were given the reign to do that. So. Uh, on, on on that note, um, Stefano, I know your time at Phillips spanned many years, but what what would a typical day in the life look like for you uh, when you were there in terms of variety of projects, uh, at what sort of level you were overseeing things at, and yeah, what was a typical day for you like? Yeah, uh, uh, perhaps I I can uh, I can tell you uh, the moment in which actually I. I decided to get more engaged into uh, the management. Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, uh, to be able to create the opportunity for design and for designers to be able to do design. And uh, so I, uh, I tried to pick, take on my shoulder uh, the role of uh, uh, educating uh, or entering in dialogue with management, challenging the management to get the opportunity to create uh, uh, the conditions for an organization to be capable to uh, lead uh, with creativity uh, the uh, the thinking uh, of, of the company to help the company to look beyond uh, the uh, financial results uh, as, as it was, but uh, let's say to look at the financial results as a consequence of what you do. And so it is what you do that is more relevant of the achievement of uh, the two or three percent or ten percent growth. Uh, so reversing, uh, reversing in a sense uh, the attitude of the company. So I, I was intending, uh, I wanted to uh, truly to work for uh, a, a beneficial uh, acting of a of, of a company to create uh, uh, to create the solutions a product that would definitely be. Uh, uh, an improvement improvement in the life of people and uh, and uh, uh, society at large. Uh, I understood later some of the things that I might say later <laughs> later, mm. but uh, it was my 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 intent. And uh, so on one side, uh, let's say I had uh, uh, I was looking at uh, all our our organization, our family, because we were, uh, we, we wanted to be, uh, let's say, together without uh, restriction, but with, uh, of course, serving 
uh, what was uh, operational in the company, the company that does product and uh, so, but also the one to be inspirational for the company, to show them uh, horizons that they were not thinking to because they were trapped in into the next quarter, quarter yeah. and the next quarter and the next quarter. So on one side is was growing this uh, green garden and give the opportunity to all uh, to really express themselves and to be involved in searching new direction and new opportunities. And from there derived the good uh, that could have been, uh, yeah. let's say, uh, useful for for people, for the uh, for society, for the market, and out of there, trying to find what would have been driven driving the the uh, successful, uh, the success of the company and the financial results. Mm. Uh, so that was so my uh, my life my life was actually divided in two parts. One part was uh, bringing water to the green garden of the creativity, trying to inspire and uh, to, uh, let's say, to just to direct a bit the water like a river, just to give a bit of direction and correction whether actually the, the water is going out of the, the boundaries, but let it go, give, give the energy and let go the water and simply driving and maintaining the the long-term vision, the intent, the mm. intent and the purpose clear. Mission accomplished. Speaking on behalf of two designers from the garden um, and many other alumni that we regularly keep in touch with, we were indeed inspired to do our best work. That's right. Um, so two sides to your role. On one side, you were protecting the garden nurturing uh, the global design team to do their best work. Uh, and on the other side, to illustrate to the Philips executive leadership, uh, a larger organizational value by design, um, you know, inspirational horizons beyond the next quarter. I, I imagine it wasn't easy, uh, both from a strategy and leadership acceptance perspective. Can you speak to this a bit? Managing, managing in the company uh, our opportunity to, on one side, prove the company that we were helping the company to progress in their current business uh, and to help the business to be successful also at the short term, but at the same time protect uh, this part of our expression that was uh, inspirational. And I tell you that I faced uh, several occasions where actually this inspirational part was considered by some of the uh, of the managers and the leader in the business as a disturbance. But in one way or another, I always uh, try to protect and to uh, and to create some uh, 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 enlightened alliances <laughs> uh, with some of the people in the business that were actually. Uh, helping uh, and uh, understanding, but yeah. it has been really a, a everyday, a everyday uh, reality. On one side, uh, uh, being involved as much as I could uh, in, uh, in the different project to try to give uh, some inspiration, some motivation, and also at the moment in which 
it was difficult uh, to bring in uh, optimism and hope that we would have been able to uh, to find uh, to find a way to make it uh, to make it successful and uh, and other parts of the day was always taking uh, taking uh, care of uh, our relationship with the with the business and the company that uh, uh, would have maintained this uh, this great fortune that we had to be capable to. Uh, take a part of our, uh, let's say, what what the company was paying us to take it as reinvesting this into into our uh, design uh, design research and actually I would say design inspiration for and leadership for the for the company. Mm. Yeah, and uh, just to uh, Simon to put a couple of examples to what Stefano is talking to. Uh, Stefano, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know there were projects that you led like vision of the future right in the 90s that um that explored uh smartphones smart tablets things that were like way before the iphone um there were like um rentable products uh virtual travel agents things like that they were way ahead of uh where the market was going you know two decades ahead and and what I loved about those projects, at least that project, was your ability to produce a story, right? So to show not just a product, but how the value of the product to, to someone cooking in the home at the end of the day and, and this immersive content that was facilitating a, you know, a beautiful experience. I thought that yeah. was super cool and then when we came in i came in at the, the and maybe this was a business-led uh, event but there was the simplicity event in simplicity. 2007 the next simplicity right and um i remember the that um was it the hotel room wall uh, it was the first of its kind in the world that yeah. it was yeah it was like this instead of having curtains it was like a glass wall and you could use your hand to gesture um yeah. vines coming across the, the the glass to close off light from the outside and then you could you could change the hue in the of the light coming in it was really quite beautiful so i see i saw that as like even though it was hard to quantify the value i saw the the cultural ripple permeate the organization right i saw that uh, people in the business being able to start to talk about design even if they weren't really well versed in it and and it was a way of the designers kind of inspiring the business uh. i'm telling i will tell you something that uh, still a uh, few people know uh, about vision of the future uh, that vision of the future was a project uh, i was asked uh, to realized by the president at the time, Jan Timmer. You know, in, in early 90, Philips was almost bankrupt. And uh, uh, when I joined Philips uh, uh, in, in the Netherlands, uh, there was the Centurion operation. The Centurion operation was cutting jobs, a lot of jobs. And uh, what... Uh, 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 the president at the time told me when I took over, he said, listen, we have to restructure, we have to reduce cost, but we are at the moment where we have to uh, decide what is going to be our future portfolio. What are we going to do with the competencies and the uh, 
technologies that that we have and we master in order to redesign our future. So a vision of the future was was started as a project to create a, a number of uh, hypotheses and inspirational hypotheses of what Philips could have done with the technologies that they did master uh, to uh, redefine the new strategy and the new portfolio and the new Philips. Well, unfortunately, when uh, when uh, we uh, I presented in uh, 1996 the results of the project, uh, uh, Jan Timmer uh, uh, retired. And uh, mm. and it was not anymore uh, as it has been always in the past. The president was the chairman of the supervisory board, but uh, he had a fight with Cor uh, Bonstra, that was his successor, and Cor Bonstra didn't wanted Jan Timmer to be into the into the advisory board. So all the work of vision of the future was. Mm. Uh, left not as a strategic uh, tool, but uh, as yeah, an inspirational exercise uh, that the, the company at that moment did not exploit it because uh, was, was very much uh, focused on uh, fast moving goods. He was coming from uh, sales, uh, sales organization. He did not understand, understood uh, so the sophistication of the change from analogs to digital and so on. And, uh, and that is, uh, uh, so it remained it remain a great project, mm. but it, it was not used then later on for the purpose. Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame considering, um, I mean, these days, I think companies are much more aware of the value of envisioning projects, conceptual projects done right, right? So if you if you do des effective design research and then you can prototype uh, experiences, you can prototype um, conceptual projects that are maybe a decade out and then begin to roadmap a product portfolio around that, um, it seems much more almost like um, the business that needs to happen now than, 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 you know, once upon a time when you were chasing quarterly, you know, the, the profits of the next quarter, I think um, vision is becoming a, a lot more of a, a focus for, for big companies. Yeah, and, and I, I believe that, uh, let's say, what, what we did uh, need somehow a reflection and, uh, and a bit of revision because um, my my experience uh, um, is that uh, all companies have been working with uh, not only internally like Philips and so on, but all the uh, ventures that we did, cooperation from Nike to uh, Swarovski to you name it. What uh, I had the opportunity to be in touch with with a lot of company, and all companies have. Uh, started uh, so with with the intent to do good business uh, good activities i've been uh, uh, working on innovation and 
being content to arrive to a, a, con a concept and uh, then to turn this concept uh, into a product and, into, and put it on the market. I think that nowadays companies should take on their own shoulder another piece of responsibility, which is the one to think about what you can do to, to improve and to make life better, but don't stop there. Think also about uh, what could be the dystopic scenarios. What could happen that we do, do not want that happen? And how can we mitigate the risk that this is not going to happen? And when I think about uh, biotechnologies, I'm thinking about uh, not only uh, the, the creation of, uh, let's say, objects that like animals have all the uh, their functionalities in, in themselves, like us, but uh, to the point of uh, transhuman, uh, replicant, uh, and, uh, and so on, that is going to create another society uh, that we do not understand uh, if the, the, we will be built in classes, uh, uh, there will be uh, geopolitical strategies uh, that will, and, and countries that will think that, uh, okay, you can have the super soldiers uh, that is a replicant uh, and other countries that because of uh, ethical uh, local decision will say, no, we don't want it. And then what is going to happen? We do not consider the fact that uh, the world is uh, fragmented today more than it was in the in the 90 in the 90 i thought when the berlin walls uh, fall down i thought well we might actually have a world that is going to progress in civilization we might actually create and globalism was was let's say giving the the, the idea that uh, we would have been moving toward a world that would have been capable to make the best use of, of the resources to create welfare all over the places. And nowadays is just reversing. And, uh, and what we see is that uh, uh, there is a very strong element uh, that is driving uh, anyway the, uh, the, the mindset uh, of people. And it has been always present. Uh, uh, the, the belief and the religion is, is a divide. And uh, no one has seen God, uh, no one has seen Halat, no one has seen, but we all believe that mm. is there. And because of the belief of something that we, we don't know if it is, exists, we are acting in a, in a, tremendous, uh, in a tremendous way. Mm. Uh, and and I, made a, I made a reflection uh, that let's say the Western society has been driven industrial revolution. Uh, it, for the last 200 years, uh, it is the Western that has been driven this. And uh, if I have to think uh, <clears throat> from where it comes from, uh, the, the, the Western society is created on the base of the culture of the Greeks and the Christian Judaic. The Greeks have been always talking about the man as the one that is going to die. So the Greeks never believed in a life beyond the life. The Christians invented uh, this idea of uh, there is a life after death. And the past, it has always been bad, 
the present uh, you have to pay for the error of the past. And when you die in the next life, you will be safe and you will be happy. And this has really created the anthropocentric idea that has been leading the Western society where it is today. When actually uh, Adam left uh, the, the Eden, you read in the Genesis that God said, you will dominate the herd. You will dominate the animals of the herd, the birds in the sky and the fishes in the in the sea. Yeah, there's a um, there's a good book uh, that I got halfway through and uh, didn't finish. Uh, unfortunately, it's called uh, The World Without Us. I've read that. Oh, parents read yeah. it. Good. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, I think he's a scientist or someone who's uh, who hypothesizes that uh, if tomorrow humans were eradicated from the face of the world, right? What would happen? Face of the earth. And he, he basically breaks down what happens. And he talks about architecture, urban centers. If the first thing is that um, fauna begin to realize that people aren't in urban centers, so they start coming back into the urban centers. Um, there's like nature starts to overgrow buildings, uh, things start to break down. He even goes into like nuclear power plants. There'll be a few nuclear meltdowns around the world, but you know, in a couple of hundred thousand years, it'll be fine. So, um, yeah. nature will always prevail. And I think Absolutely. that's kind of the, the inspirational edge that a lot of, I think designers are looking at these days and some of the work that we're doing, um, with some climate tech startups, um that are beginning to think really big right so there's a right. uh, company like Climeworks who are trying to s literally create giant giant industrial vacuum cleaners that suck carbon out of the air right. um in strategic locations around the, uh, around the world and then sequester it in and in, into bedrock yeah. in, in into volcanic rock and there's a company there's some weird amazing things going on there's there's a there's a few little startups um, in the Bay Area. There's one that's uh, that's um, actually using carbon to make um, fuels yeah. now for, they're partnering with Mercedes-Benz and I think um, Alaskan Airlines to create clean fuels for jets. And um, yeah, and, and this is, is really what, uh, let's say, the battle that design can do today. Because, yeah. you know, the future, there is not one future, but there are concurrent futures. And I think that design has indeed, has always proven to have this, the sensibility and the ability to think in a, in a way that is different than the way that is driven by the economy as an end, the profit as an end. And I think that politics is also in a, in a very, very dramatic situation because politics is based on a system that can, cannot work anymore. When you have a government, for example, that is alive for four years, the interest of the politicians is short term. Mm. It's just winning market share in this country for, for four years. And this is, it's impossible to, uh, to uh, drive uh, the, 
the change, the save, save the our environment. Thinking back over your career and what 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 kind of advice would you give? What kind of aspirational advice would you give to young designers today coming up in their career, wanting to make a positive change? Well, it's <laughs> to understand that the change uh, doesn't come only uh, via couple of projects, mm. but the change needs uh, to be driven uh, massively. And so, first of all, the schools uh, should actually of design, but the school also that are teaching uh, on technology and so on should transform, should really try, try to educate, should really try to make understanding, even the culture uh, out of the university of uh, business, uh, uh, master of business, should actually uh, adopt this new mindset. Mm. Of course, design and designers should actually uh, under, uh, vote themselves to uh, revise completely the way in which uh, technologies thought, the way in which technologies are going to be used, the way in which is possible to create proposition and solutions. But at the same time, all the one that will be interested in uh, more design strategy and design management should actually devote themselves in uh, trying to educate the other disciplines because no one is going to make the change. Mm. All together, we are going to make the change. Yeah. And therefore, it's important to be able to understand the, how do you translate our design language and our intent into understandable language and intent from all the other disciplines. How we can actually make sure that the ones that are uh, focused on the technology do not get excited by the technology itself and they continue in developing something that might be exciting for a researcher and a scientist, but might, might have in, in, the, in, in itself a lot of seeds for possible dystopias, for consequences that we will be not able to, uh, to, 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 to change. Mm. And to the, to the one that are thinking from an economical term that does jump to drive investments, on technologies that might be potentially disastrous. So the, the transformation has to come uh, from technique, economy are not an end. They are a mean. Yeah. There, has, there has to be something that represents the end. And the world that uh, design can, uh, can visualize, can, can show, yeah. can represent that mental image for society, the end that we want to, and that is uh, benign and as a benefit for all. And in this business can find success. In this business can find profit. But there is the, the drive is paradise regained, is, is a, a, a living in a, in a quality of life uh, where actually we can, as, as human beings, probably we, we can enjoy and we mm. can enjoy peace, etc. 
So this has to be the driver. Yeah. And not economy and uh, figures, numbers, and uh, uh, this is the, the, the mistake that we have to correct. And it starts by education. Design has an incredible power to visualize, to create visible, to, to make an aspirational, aspirational view of what is that that would represent for us. If you want to continue the conversation, share your thoughts, or suggest topics for future episodes, be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn at PlanCo, or visit PlanCo.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and until next time, keep playing, keep designing, and keep pushing the boundaries of what's next. This is Play in Conversations, signing off.